A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I don't know about you, but I'll never be able to hear clips like this one without picturing my guest on today's show. And I tested very positively in a... In another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning, meaning meaning I tested negative. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and it's finally happening. Today is Donald Trump's last full day in office, and Sarah Cooper is here. I've been wanting to have Sarah on the podcast for a while now, and for some reason, this week just seemed like the perfect timing. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you are familiar with Sarah, who really came out of nowhere last spring to become one of the most significant political comedy voices of the Trump era without using her actual voice. Her hilarious lip sync videos of Trump's most absurd moments have racked up millions and millions of views on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And last October, just a week before the 2020 election, she released a wildly ambitious, star-studded Netflix special called Everything's Fine. That special offered some hints about where her comedy might be headed post-Trump, and she shared more details about what's to come in this conversation. We also talked about how she got here, the surreal experience of becoming super famous during a pandemic, and a lot more. All right, here's me with Sarah Cooper. Okay, we're recording. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I've uh, I've been wanting to have you on for a while, and I'm really excited that we're doing it now because as people are hearing this, it's Donald Trump's last full day in office, which is really a long time coming. So, uh, so how are you feeling now that this is really coming to an end? I'm really excited. I'm really happy. And, you know, there's still a part of me that's like, is it really over? Could it really have, could it really be over? <laughs> know, you know, right? I said a while ago that I won't be able to breathe a sigh of relief until Biden has his hand on the Bible. And I still feel that way, but it's, I'm feeling more hopeful than I did before. I mean, even after he won and, and it was announced that he won, I was still like, I don't know, I, they might try to pull, you know, something might happen. And, and for a while, I was still very scared, but I'm getting less scared every day. So the reports are that he's going to leave Washington on Wednesday morning before the inauguration. Obviously, he's not going to the inauguration. Do you have sort of a, a farewell message to Trump on his way out of town? What a petty bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that is all I have to say. What a petty bitch. Like, you can't even shake the man's hand. I mean, come on. I mean, it's so on brand though. It's so on brand. It really is. I mean, it really is like if he had been gracious and conceded and been, you know, this uh, amazing beacon of, <laughs> you know, light at the end of his term, we would have been like, wait, he, he did pivot, you know, but he never pivoted. So I'm happy he, he never pivoted. There was never a new tone. Nope. Never a new tone. There's still, even though people are still saying it on, on cable news, still giving them the new tone stuff. What have you kind of made of this past week or so? You know, I mean, I guess starting with the with the Capitol riot, but there's been this this reckoning. I mean, he didn't change, but there there has been some change in the sense that Republicans speaking out against him, Twitter, you know, deleting 
deleting his account, all this stuff that didn't really seem possible a couple of weeks ago. I mean, what is what's been your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, the the, the deleting Twitter, I didn't think they would ever do that. And the I saw an image with all of the social networks that have banned him. And it was like Pinterest, and, you know, like all of these. You didn't even know he was on. Yeah. Didn't even realize he was using Pinterest to help, you know, promote himself. But obviously it makes sense. I guess cynically, I think, why now? You know, because he had been promoting so much hatred and violence for so long. Feels a little and late. So it feels a little late. It feels, you know, cynically, I'm like, oh, they, they felt like maybe they were going to be exposed if any more violence happened, or they know that Democrats are coming in and they're going to be in charge now. So they're trying to curry favor with Democrats, you know? So, but for whatever, the, whatever the reason, I think it was definitely the best. I can't imagine right now if he was on Twitter. So many things have been like, well, if he was on Twitter, he'd be responding to this. If he was on Twitter, he'd be saying this. So we can all kind of imagine it. We don't need it. You know what I mean? It's great. We don't, we actually, know exactly he'd be doing these midnight tweets we'd be engaged with them we'd be like talking about them and just to take him out of the cycle that way has been awesome it's been it's it's almost like we've regained <laughs> our sense of self by not having to watch this Twitter feed. What's been really interesting to me is that even I think it's played a bigger role than I even expected it would in the way that Republicans are speaking out against him. Like, would someone like Liz Cheney have been as strong as she would if she had, could have gotten a tweet? But there was, she knew that there was no tweet coming her way. And apparently that's all they care about. I, I never bought into this whole they're scared of a mean tweet. Did you ever buy into that? Well, I didn't really either. But now all of a sudden I'm like, maybe it is because yeah. now they're speaking out in a way that no, knowing that the mean tweet's not coming has sort of liberated some of them in a way that, that is unexpected. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the amount of power that that Twitter feed had, it was, I mean, I, I knew it from the beginning. I, I wrote this, this rant that I ended up deleting the day after he was elected about how I knew that this, these tweets were going to be, every single tweet was going to be a headline. Every single tweet, there were going to be a hundred articles written about it. And, and that's kind of what happened. And that, that vortex, I'm just happy for that vortex to be gone. Well, you've been, you've been liberated from Trump's tweets for quite a while now because he, he blocked you, what, four years oh, yeah. ago? Yeah. He blocked me in 2017, but, um, but I still, <laughs> I, st I had another account that I would like go in and I would look at what he would say. And it feels so good to to not do that anymore. <laughs> when people hear that he blocked you, I mean, they assume that it's because of your videos, but this was like way before that, right? Exactly. Yeah. I was on his shit list from like <laughs> day, day one almost. <laughs> yeah. What did you do? I was a reply guy. I was a presidential <laughs> reply guy, I guess. You know, I, I would reply to all of his tweets and I, I said something about how he, you know, it was like fake news. Donald Trump is not fit for president. Real news. Donald Trump was never fit for president. It was like so innocuous. It wasn't even <laughs> funny. It was, but people are starting retweet it and like it. And I think that's why he saw it. And I think that's why I got blocked. But it was like shocking to go to his page and be like, Donald Trump has blocked you. <laughs> Me? What? Yeah, that is crazy. And there's been like lawsuits and stuff about it. I think that like whether it's legal for the president to block people from hearing what he's saying. I don't know if you were part of those uh, part of those class actions, but I wasn't. But it was pretty cool to go to his page and it actually didn't say I was blocked anymore. It just said this account does not exist. <laughs> Um, I've only I've been blocked by Eric Trump and uh, oh, and, nice. and Alec Baldwin, so that's that's where I am. Wow, that's an interesting pair. Yeah, so you know, huh. but still, I can still I was able to see what, Trump's what tweets. What got when you they, blocked by Alec Baldwin? You know, I think I was critical of his uh, Trump impression somewhere along the way, so he didn't like that. 
Very sensitive. Oh, yeah. Very sensitive. I was blocked by Geraldo Rivera. Oh, that's a good one. And uh, who's the religious guy? The guy who was involved with his pool boy. Oh, uh, Jerry Falwell. Yeah, I was blocked by him. Um, that's a, yeah, those are, that's, those are good badges of honor, I think. Yeah. So Trump is out of here you know, tomorrow, as people are hearing this, out of uh, Washington, out of the presidency. What do you think should happen to him? Do you have predictions of, of what might what his future might might look like in these coming uh, months and years? I don't know. It's like you 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 don't want to be too greedy about what could happen to him. You know, I I don't think he'll ever be in prison. I don't think he'll ever see inside a, a prison cell. I, I, I don't think he will. Um, if Don Don Jr. goes to prison, that would be icing on yeah, the cake for me. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least rehab, right? Yeah, something. One of the two. He needs to go somewhere. He needs to be locked in some building somewhere. Yeah, I think that, no, so he's in a lot of financial trouble, and I do think he's going to be investigated. He's going to be hanging out in Mar-a-Lago. He's not allowed to live there, so I don't know how they're going to let him live there, but I guess they're going to, like, do a loophole or something. Yeah, he breaks every other law, so what? what what's yeah. different about this? Yeah. Um, is he going to be back on Twitter? Will he get back on? Will we? That's a big will we question. see post-election Trump on Twitter where we where he just rants about stuff and then we will we ignore it or will we pay attention to it? I don't know. Back to old school Trump on Twitter where he was tweeting about the Oscars and the you know stuff like that. Right, right. I mean, I do you think he's going to run in twenty twenty four? I just don't know. Like, um, yeah. well, my I was hoping that they were they would figure out a way to bar him from doing that, but I'm not super hopeful about that either at this point. Now that it's getting pushed. This isn't what I want to happen, but I think what will happen is that he will um, continue to be in the public eye. He will push his children. He will um, hope to have some sway over the Republican Party in 2024, I mean, 2022. And maybe he's going to have like get back at people who went against him. You know, maybe he'll still want to do that or he'll completely lose interest in politics altogether and just go straight back into entertainment. And maybe they put him on. Dan would they put him on Dancing with the Stars? I, I don't think know. they I think they would. I think they, they have very low standards over there. So they have such low you know what? At least the mass dancer. He would be on the mass dancer. That's that would be good. Yeah. Sarah Palin was on the mass singer, so he could one up her by going on the mass dancer, which would be good. What about comedy post Trump? I mean, that's been a big you know, conversation about it's been a conversation during Trump is like, is Trump good for comedy? Is he bad for comedy? And there's like a lot of articles about that. I'm really I'm curious about sort of what happens now. I mean, are there things that are funny to you about the Biden Harris administration or do you do we not know yet? Or how are you how are you feeling about like political comedy over these next four years? Such a good question. I um, I'm I'm on board with the people who want politics to be boring again. And so I and I think that we have oversaturated the market in terms of political comedy. And I think that we need to make fun of other things now. And I think people are going to want to talk about other things now. And I think people are going to want more of an escape from because this pandemic isn't over. There's a lot of uh, capitalism is still destroying the country. You know, there's a lot of things still wrong. So I feel like um, people are going to want more of an escape. I think absurdist um surprising things that, you know, I always say that, like, we're going to have to come up with something funnier than um, Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Like, <laughs> yeah, if that's the hard it part, has right, to, is becoming it, funnier than reality. I mean, exactly. And I feel like to be funnier than that, you need to go not A to B to C. You have to go to A to X. You know, you have to it has to be things that just shock you and surprise you. And like like WandaVision looks really good to me. I haven't seen it yet, but 
that just, it looks so bizarre. And I'm like, I want bizarre. That's what I want. Yeah. It's funny you're talking about, you know, the uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping and like these examples of things that are, are so funny that are real that have actually happened and that that satire and parody have kind of struggled to be funnier than reality. And I think that's really what you hit on with your videos is that you didn't try to, what, what you know, probably one of the things that Alec Baldwin was mad about me writing at some point was that what SNL does in a lot of cases is they just kind of tweak it. They try, they make it like a little bit, you know, crazier, but like not that much. And so it's like kind of recreating it kind of not. And you're kind of just like, this was funnier when I just watched it yesterday in real life. What you did is really turn that on its head by using the actual audio, but adding to it in a different way. So is that something that you thought about? I mean, when you were starting to make these videos that you were doing it in a different way than we've seen? I didn't really think about it as a Trump impression ever. I really thought about it more as like, I'm not trying to be Trump, but I'm wondering like, what if Trump was me? Like, I, I'm trying to like embody this rich white guy that I could never be. Like, it's kind of weird because like you're saying with Saturday Night Live, like they don't, a lot of those cold opens, they really don't change very much. They're almost recreating it. Like even the visuals are very like, hey, let's create it exactly. And it's, I feel like, I took all the work out of that because I basically just exactly used the exact clip. I didn't think about it at the time that I was doing that. I was really just bored and I was like, I would like to pretend that I'm as powerful and I would like to pretend I think I am as smart as Trump thinks he is. Like, I would love to have that level of confidence in everything that I'm saying. And I think that's why it kind of worked. I think it's, it also just turned into this sort of news source for people because they were actually able to hear what he was saying without having to see his face. And so people, a lot of people were like, well, I, I, I can't watch him say this, but I could watch you um, lip sync it for some reason. And so it took on this sort of news quality as well. Yeah, it really, it really hit with the people who hate Trump, don't want to look at him, don't really want right. it, don't really want to hear what he's saying, but you, yeah. made it, you made it palatable for them in a, in a strange way. Yeah, exactly. Where were you in your life when you when you first when you did the first video? Sort of what were where were your thoughts about comedy? Where were you in your, you know, in your career when you when you decided to start doing this? Um, I was hosting open mics and I was working on my next book and um lockdown happened, all the mics canceled, shows canceled. I should have been just focusing on my book, but I was like, I wanted to make videos. I, I was kind of really intrigued by a lot of people using Instagram for video. And I was like, you know, I, I'd like to build my following and maybe create some kind of series. Um, cause I'm, I'm used to creating like one-off videos, but I, I always admire people that can cre come up with an idea that like has legs beyond just one thing. And so that's kind of what I was experimenting with. I, I tried doing like news from quarantine. I did a little skit about that. I did a little like <laughs> reenactment of a press conference with like my dog playing Dr. Fauci. Like I was just playing <laughs> around with like anything that I could do and TikTok, everybody was on TikTok and my nephews had showed it to me like the summer before. And, and so I was playing around with a bunch of different things on, on there. And yeah, I mean, it was really just experimenting and seeing what people liked and really the low, um, expectation of, of production value that everyone had, because everyone knew that you're just at home. There's you, you had, you could only work with what you had. And, and so I felt like that worked in my favor. It worked in my favor that people were like looking for things to watch and looking for things to talk about. And then it worked in my favor when he gave me the perfect 60 second clip where he was talking about injecting, you know, Lysol into your veins, like really just, you know, a brilliant comedy piece. And without, without realizing it, it was 
absolutely <laughs> brilliant. The way that he's talking about it and then like looking for other people to like back him <laughs> up and like, we're going to check that. Right. We're going to test that. Right. And I listened to it and I just saw the other people in the room being like talking about, you know, but nobody did that. And I think that was the thing that was so frustrating. It was like, he is saying crazy things right now. Why are scientists doctors? Why is no one being like, sir, actually, no, you're wrong. Why is no one saying that? You know? And that's sort of when you imagine like if someone who looked like you was saying it, they might get a different, uh, reaction. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I liked being that reaction person of just being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the one that was that the one that really took off the most, the, the first one, the, the yeah. um, injecting bleach. Yeah. I try a few others before that, but that was the one that took off. Yeah. Were you surprised by the, by the reaction that it got? I mean, it kind of is insane when looking back that, that it, that it blew up to the degree that it did. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was very surprised. I mean, it's one thing to have it go viral. I mean, I've had things go viral before. It's one thing to have something go viral. It's another thing to have like your career take off because of something like that, when it, the, which is really what happened to me last year. Um, I got an agent, I got PR, I got a Netflix special, I have like a show, a TV show deal that I've been trying to sell based on a book I wrote a few years ago. I've been trying to do that for years. So like, it really brought me so much attention, like other things can go viral, but it brought me attention and it gave me a, a platform of, of an audience that I never had before. And that I did not see coming, you know, I could see getting a few million views, but I didn't see it changing my life. Was there a uh, particularly surreal um, person who shared it or, or moment where you realized how, how big it was getting? Um, there were several moments. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld was definitely like the number one, you know, when, when he shared it and then somebody said, Jerry Seinfeld's talking about you in a New York Times profile. And I <laughs> yeah. said, Jer Jerry Seinfeld's talking about me? <laughs> and I still don't really know if he knows who I am. <laughs> To be honest, like, um, I'm, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. Like I fall asleep to it every night. Um, so I, I know, yeah, I'm like, I know it inside and out. I'm a huge fan. And so for him to talk about me after me, me doing comedy for 10 years and no, nowhere near that level of, of recognition. And then to have that happen was amazing. Um, Ben Stiller, every comment from Ben Stiller was just like, Oh my, Ben Stiller's commenting, you know, Jane Lynch, Cher, Holly Berry, like, like pretty much every single person, um, was like a huge, like, wow. And it, and I didn't even know how to respond, you know, um, because I'm not like, I don't like to make it seem like I'm showing off. So yeah, like, like retweeting everything that someone says, about yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> I could, I couldn't do that. Like, it's just, I have too much pride <laughs> or, or I want people to think yeah, I have pride. I don't be but, seen as like, uh, you know, milking it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. The experience of becoming super famous during this year, during this pandemic, where nothing is like happening in the world and you're not going out in the streets and meeting people, you're not going to Hollywood parties, you're not doing any of that stuff. I mean, what has that been like? It's like of all the times to become super famous, this is, I mean, you're one of the few people who actually did that this past year, you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's very bizarre. I mean, what is that, what has that aspect of it been like for you? It's, I mean, I don't really feel like I'm super famous, first yeah, of all. I, think, I mean, I get well, I think recognized. You are, first of all, I think everyone. But why? I don't think I am, though. I really don't think I am. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I, I get recognized here and there, um, but I, um, 
you know, maybe it is because there, I have a mask on and all, and it's winter and stuff like that. But also, yeah, I haven't left my apartment. I did Fallon from my apartment. I did Ellen from my apartment. You know, I did all of these things sitting on my couch. So in any other year, it would have been so different. I mean, you would have been flying to LA and going on these shows and, you know, it just would have been a really different experience. Is there, do you have, are you, do you feel conflicted about that or do you, is just sort of what it is or? Yeah, I think, I think it is what it is. It's kind of like without Trump, without the pandemic, I wouldn't be talking to you. Like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the success. So I just have to like accept that. Um, and know that, I mean, part of it is that part of it I look at as kind of a blessing because I I do feel like I need to separate myself a little bit from those impressions in order to have the career that I really do want to have. I I feel like it was a great launching pad for me, but I don't, it's not something I want to do for the rest of my life. There's a lot of other things I want to talk about, a lot of other things I want to talk about. So I feel like it's like actually kind of a good thing because now I can kind of be a little bit low key and focus on writing and focus on the next thing that I want to do versus if I had been everywhere and my face had been everywhere and I'd been kind of like sat oversaturated, I think that would have um, maybe not been great for the the future of what I want to do next. So I, I just got to see your um, clip of your standup that you put on YouTube, you know, I guess a few months ago yeah. um, and it was really funny. And I, I was really excited to see that because I just hadn't seen you perform standup before. Um, I was born in Jamaica. My whole family is Jamaican, um, and uh, they make fun of me because I'm the least Jamaican one in the family. But I think it's their fault for naming me Sarah. (laughs) Sarah is like the Karen of our generation, and she has moved in and gentrified my entire personality. (laughs) Like, my mom would cook for me, and I'd be like... Mom, this chicken is like really spicy. <laughs> like, like next time, can you like make it without the seasoning? <laughs> and she'd be like, Sierra, that's not jerk chicken, that's a piece of bread. <laughs> When did you first start doing comedy and, and what was that experience like for you? Because I know you, you know, you sort of had this other career and then you you shifted into doing comedy. So what what made you make that decision and what has that been like for you? Well, I I wanted to be an actress when I was little. I well, I wanted to be a singer, but then I was told that I didn't I couldn't sing. So then I was like, Well, I'm gonna <laughs> act. <laughs> I'm I adapt. I'm like, okay, I can't sing, let me act. Yeah, okay. okay. And then maybe I'll lip sync. <laughs> Great. Yeah. You know, I can't write. I'm going to lip sync someone else's words. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll figure this out. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I've been. Um, and so like I, after I turned 30, um, I wanted to like rediscover this childhood dream I had of acting. And so I started auditioning and, um, taking acting classes and I was not good. (laughs) I was not good at it. And, uh, the one thing I hadn't tried was stand up comedy. And I really tried it because I wanted to be comfortable with myself on stage and on camera and not feel like I had to be this perfect person, which is what I was doing. And so like stand up was a way for me to like get on stage in front of an audience and just try to speak in my own voice and be as authentic as, as I could and hopefully take that authenticity to a role. But then I just found that I really liked saying what I wanted to say and, you know, performing it the way that I wanted to perform it. Was there a first joke or bit that you, that you felt like really worked or that, that, um, that really connected with people? Yeah. Which, which actually might get me canceled today. Oh, really? This joke. Yeah. What what is it? (laughs) Do you you want to hear it? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay. No, Um, I definitely do. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) 
All right. Please don't cancel me, you guys. This was 10 years ago. Yeah, no. I think <laughs> well, we're putting this on the record. It was 10 years ago. Also, okay. So I say, I'm black. In case you guys didn't know, I'm also a little scared of black people. Anyone else <laughs> like get people in the audience to like see who is scared of black people? And it would always be like a black person who's like, yeah, I'm scared of black people. And then I'd be like, you know, they're always like, you know, doing the Dougie all over the place and like making up nicknames for stuff like Cray Cray and Popo. And then I realized that black people are just really drunk white people. <laughs> You know, like I'm sure you've seen this before, like a white girl will go up to a bar and she'll get that really high pitched voice that all white girls get when they're asking for something. They'll be like, um, excuse me, um, could I get a margarita with salt? Um, you didn't put any salt on my margarita. Could you put some salt on margarita, please? Thank you. And then like six margaritas later, she's like, bitch, you better put some motherfucking salt on my margarita. Um, so that's what I think people, white people really mean when they say they got so drunk, they blacked out. <laughs> that's that's my big punchline. That's good, yeah. <laughs> But, but I did that joke once, like five years ago, and people were like, what do you mean? What do you mean, like, that black people are drunk white people? Like, that's you offensive. And that, I was yeah. like, oh, I guess, I guess it is kind of offensive. <laughs> but really, just the heart of the joke is just that white people are very repressed, and they need to drink to dance. You know what I mean? A lot of times, and, and they need to drink to kind of, like, let loose. Whereas black people, for me, what, not like I'm not saying all black people, obviously, because I'm black, and I, I'm very repressed myself. But what I've noticed is that a lot of black people are just more comfortable in their own skin and they're just more comfortable saying exactly what they mean and exactly how they feel instead of like couching it in all of this passive aggressive stuff that I think a lot of white people do. So that's like the basis of the joke, but I could see how it could be offensive to people. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, a lot of your stand up, I mean, the, 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 most of the stuff that I've seen that you did um, really is about race and, you know, and sort of your own identity and how you, you know, struggle with that or, or how you think about it. And then there's, I think there's been this whole conversation around your videos about uh, race and gender in the sense of that you're, you know, sort of like the opposite of Trump and you're showing what it would be like for a woman of color to say the things he says and would never be able to get away with them. Do you buy into that? Is that something that you, that you've agreed with the take on that of um, videos? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I don't know if it's, if, if it's just Trump, but, but, but we, we just, we're such visual creatures. We see a white guy who's looks like he's rich and he's speaking behind a podium and people are nodding and clapping. And we're like, okay, I guess this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> and I'm sorry. We just don't give the same benefit of the doubt to women or women of color, or we just, we, we really are like, and, and that's the fucked up thing about these videos is that like, that's why you're listening harder is because of the visual. That's why you're listening a little bit closer. And so, yeah, no, I don't think that any, and I don't, I don't know if it's just Trump or if it's just like any, I don't think any white man could get away with what he got away with. But I think the fact that he was a white man, like helped him in many, many, many ways o over the 74 years that he's been alive, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering what that's going to mean for, you know, vice president Kamala Harris in the way she's um, treated by the media, you know, over the next four years. And I think it'll be interesting to see the, the standard that she's held to compared to the standard that, that Trump was held to. It's already hysterical. Fox News is already hysterical the way that they are <laughs> like very seriously questioning, you know, policies and decisions and cabinet choice. I'm like, what? 
are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like compared to what Trump was doing and they were like, well, this is great. You know, he called in, he spoke to us for two hours. It's fine. You know, like, uh, yeah. So until Kamala Harris calls into Fox News and speaks for two hours on a rant about (laughs) nothing, like I don't want to hear it. And they don't and they don't push back or challenge her on anything or question anything she says. Yeah. 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 That's not going to happen. I don't think. No, it's not. (laughs) She'd be fired immediately. Come on. (laughs) What do you what do you feel like in that in that same vein of, of, you know, you listen to Trump, you know, obviously you've talked about you listen to it over and over and over again and at high volumes and all that. What do you feel like you learned about him as a person by paying such close attention to him that maybe other people weren't getting? I mean, I, I think that you and I and and most people who saw the videos the way that I saw them, the way that you saw them got this. But I feel like his supporters still don't get it that when he says something like it's good for the country or this is what the people want or anytime he talks about anything external to him, he's talking about him like every single time. Like I was listening to that Georgia phone call where he called the secretary of state and there's a point where he says people hate Georgia. People hate the state of Georgia. People hate what's happening in Georgia. People? No, you. You hate it. You hate Georgia. So, I mean, he's just extremely self-obsessed. And I talked with Tony Adamonic about this as well, where, you know, he um, he's speaking to himself, really. He's not listening to anyone else. Every time someone else is talking, he's not listening. But even when he's talking, he's listening to himself talk. He's telling a lie. He's hearing the lie. He's agreeing with the lie. He's reinforcing the lie. It's mm-hmm. this loop. Yeah, it's exactly. a feedback loop between his voice and his head. And that's all it is. You know, you mentioned his supporters, that the way they hear him. I mean, there's also been the way they hear and view your videos has come up a lot in the sense that you, they aren't necessarily offended by them or outraged by them or, and you don't right. necessarily get the oh kind of hate mail that some people might expect that you would get. And it seems like they actually like them in some ways. Has that concerned you at all along the way that they, that they like your stuff? It has been absolutely fascinating. I will say the number one fast, most fascinating thing about the whole thing is that, can I curse on this? Oh, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah, even yeah. ask. Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> curse away. Yeah. <laughs> no, I expected to be called a cunt like every single yeah. day after yeah. that video came out. I feel like I've been, I, I, I got called a cunt maybe twice. <laughs> That's it. Like the yeah. whole year. <laughs> I'm like, no, I really, I really like knock on wood. I got very little hate mail, very little. Um, and the, the, the hate mail I got was just like, this isn't funny. And I'm like, okay, you don't think it's funny. That's fine. You know, <laughs> like, that's okay. Um, you know, I feel like, yeah, I, it was, it, it was good though, because I, I feel like I would have stopped. I mean, people think that I'm getting death threats. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, thank <laughs> yeah, God I'm yeah. not. A, it's not that I want death threats. It's just that I did expect them because I've seen the wrath of the right and I know what they can do. And I know that how they can like really make you feel like your life is in danger. And, and this, these videos for whatever reason did not ignite that. And I, I'm very happy about that. And a lot of people did say, yeah, I enjoy them. I, I love Trump, but this is funny. And so like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, it's, and tr- even from Trump himself, who's been incredibly antagonistic 
especially towards female comedians, when you think about, you know, Kathy Griffin and Samantha B and all these people that he's really gone after directly. He, he hasn't done that with you either. Even, even when asked, um, directly about it, I think in August during an interview on Fox, he basically said he hadn't seen them. And, you know, he said like, are they nice? And the guy said, not really. And, and, but he didn't, he didn't take the opportunity to attack you as you may have expected. Have you seen the videos that this comedian has been making, Sarah Cooper, where she takes your um, speeches and she performs them? I just wondered if you've seen that. I have not. No. I'd like to see them. Are they good or bad? I think you'd find them very entertaining. Okay, good. I'd and like I, to see I think them. a lot of people would, would enjoy watching this person interview you and their heads would explode because oh, she does your, she takes your voice and performs it. I'd like to and I'm just curious whether you'd seen I mean, if you say they're positive, I'd like to look. If they're not well, positive. She doesn't mean it to be positive, I see. but I think you might enjoy it. Well, I'll have to check it out. First of all, what was it like to watch the president of the United States get asked about you? And then what did you make of his response? <laughs> oh, my God. It was so crazy. Like, <laughs> that's the point where you're like, oh, shit. Like, I don't know if this is where I want to be. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> to have a reporter ask the president of the United States, have you seen these videos from Sarah Cooper? Like, just to even say my name. And my name was in his head for yeah. a second. Mm -hmm. Maybe. You Maybe, know, I don't yeah. know. Hard to say. <laughs> Hard to say. <laughs> um, I, like, I had people, like, texting me, like, oh, my God, they asked him. They asked him. They asked him about your videos. Can you believe the president of the United States is talking about you? Not really. He's just like, whatever. Um, it was, yeah, it was one of those moments where I was just like, maybe I've gone too far. But then it, like, completely blew over. No one ever talked about it again. And it just made me realize, like, yeah, he's seen them and he hates them a lot. He hates them so much that he can't even rip them apart. Like, he, that's how much he hates them. Because they really, I mean, yeah, they expose him in a way that none of the other comedy about him really does, except for maybe uh, Anthony Tamanik and his his stuff is pretty uh, brutal too. Right. But, but um, oh, he hated him. He yeah. hated him yeah. too. But yeah, I mean, with this, I feel like this is me. Like, um, I'm not full of myself, but I do feel like they cut him a little bit deeper just because it was his own voice, and I took away the thing that gave him all his power, which was the visual. Um, he works very hard. I, I actually read an interview where he, um, it says he watches his interviews with the sound off because he's very interested in how things look. And so his, his hand movements are very precise. Everything is, is in its place. He holds the Bible up the way that you're supposed to, where he thinks he's supposed to hold the Bible upside up, down. you know, <laughs> upside down, whatever. But, um, and so for, for me to take that away, um, and put me on top of that, I, I feel like it was probably very disconcerting for him. But on top, on top of that, I will also say people were saying that I was the reason that he wanted to get rid of TikTok. I don't think I was the reason. I, I don't think, I think it was the kids. Yeah. yeah. The kids in the rally who, who <laughs> sold all the tickets to his rally that, that people yeah, didn't show I up. I think yeah. that hurt him much deeper than my video about that rally. And yeah, so I feel like, um, I feel like he has so much going on, you know, he just, he, for me, for me to be like on like the top of his mind and like to, to, to want to destroy me, like, I just feel like I'm number like 8,562 on the list of things that he needs to take care of in his life. So I, I feel good about that. Coming up, how on earth did Sarah Cooper get Oscar winner Helen Mirren to recreate the Access Hollywood tape with her? And... Has she finally finished lip-syncing Trump for good? Hold up. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So I want to run through some of the sort of crazy highlights from this past year, uh, sort of leading up to your Netflix special. Um, but first you mentioned, you know, going, doing the tonight show from your, um, from your home. And that was your, that was your first late night show that you did was with Jimmy Fallon. Right. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. and you, and you said to him at the top that you were, uh, that you'd been trying to get on as a stand up for a long time and that you now were yeah. on from your couch. Um, what was, yeah. And his response was like, cool. Yeah. He was like, okay. <laughs> Uh, what was, what was that experience like for you of, of making your, your late night TV debut in such a strange way? Oh, it was like really nerve wracking because can I tell you something? I haven't even told anybody this. Like I said, I was working on a book and in the proposal for this book, I was like, it would be great if for this chapter I could get an interview with Jimmy Fallon and my, my, my editor was like, we can try. You know, so and then I like six months later, I'm talking to him. So I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> um, it was just a really exciting experience. They they wanted to, like, have me debut one of the, the TikToks um, on the show. So I worked on that like all night because, of course, it had to be like as good as it possibly could be. And um, he was just like really chill and really easy to talk to. And I mean, I don't know. Those things go so fast. It's just like you really, you prepare for ever. And then it's five minutes and you're like, I didn't say half the shit I wanted to say, but it was, it was fun, you know? So cut to a couple months after that and you're guest hosting Jimmy Kimmel live, yeah. which is not something I imagine yeah. you ever thought you'd be doing. No. Um, so what was, what was that like? And you're also doing it. Uh, I think you say from an, from an empty mansion in uh, mm-hmm. somewhere and yeah. not, not in front of an audience, which is already telling jokes in front of nobody seems like one of the hardest things you can possibly do. And yet that's what I was doing when I was doing open mics. It was all yeah. nobody. So maybe you so. had a good experience. <laughs> it was, yeah. I had a good experience with that. The hardest part was the teleprompter because like when you're doing stand-up you're not reading anything in fact if you read it it's worse and I feel like that hurt me a little bit because I was just really like I don't want to read this but then it's there so obviously I'm gonna read it you know yeah so that was tough um and then the lip syncing I'd never all the lip syncing I'd done before was me alone in my living room with my phone and then to have a giant camera with like you know someone like doing like the wind effects for like one of them and like all this happening it was and then knowing we had a certain amount of time to get it done and you know so that was tough. And then there was a weird thing with the, um, the earpiece 
them doing the playback and then there was a timing issue. So the lip sync was off. So then we had to like basically just do it the same way that I'd been doing it at home. Just have the phone. You guys, you guys, I got this. Like I know how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, and then my monologue, I got a text in the middle of the night that was from my agent that was like, there's a 99% chance that you're going to be hosting, guest hosting Jimmy Kimmel. And I was like, no way. And I turned to my husband. I was just like, I I was like, I showed him the text. I was like, this isn't real. (laughs) Um, And I was thinking about turning it down because I was just like, I'm not ready. You know, I'm like, not ready for this. And, you know, they were like, well, you know, maybe you'll get another chance next summer, maybe, you know, and I was just like, I can't turn it down. Like, this is, I can't say no, I have to do this. Um, And so I met with the writers and I was like, I know I'm hosting, but I'm also like, this is also like my late night (laughs) set that I've been working on forever. (laughs) So they were really cool about like letting me do some of the material that I've been hoping to do on late night. And yeah, Jesse McLaren came up with that ending piece where I was doing some, you know, lip syncing in response to viewer questions and stuff and I took two mugs like that's how excited I was they wanted to give me one mug I was like I need to like I was I got the shirt I I you know uh Jimmy Kimmel texted me afterward and said great job and I was and I was like oh my god Jimmy Kimmel is like and then Valen text you know messaged me and said that I did a great job I was just it was it was heaven it was absolutely like and I, I just got a picture actually from the executive producer, um, with a note saying how great it was to have me on the show. This just happened a few weeks ago. And I look at the picture now and I feel bad because it, I, I, I don't really feel like I look like a host. I look like someone who's won a contest. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I look like. And that's how I felt. I felt like I'd won a contest. And so that's what I did. Yeah. What's funny is you spent so long, you know, trying to like get to the point where you could do a stand up set on uh, late night. Not only are you now like guest hosting, but I think you've become too famous to do a stand up set. And now you would just be the, you know, panel guest like you're, know. you know, which now you've done all. You did Colbert, you did Seth Meyers. I know. I know. That's like the, the fear that I did it all. And now what? <laughs> But maybe they'll, maybe someone will have you on to do stand up when when audiences are uh, that, back. That would be that would, that would be, be pretty great. cool. Yeah, I was talking to my sister and I was like, I don't know. I think people are just going to kind of like forget about me, and I don't know like what to do. And she's just like, just do another do another hosting gig. Do another. And I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to call up someone and be like, yeah, I'm going to host your show tonight. Thanks. You know, <laughs> doesn't happen like that. And then the other one that I wanted to ask you about uh, was you did a video and an appearance at the DNC, which was mm-hmm. must have been kind of insane as well. How did that happen? And and what was what was the experience like of that one? Um, they yeah, they they approached me. They, they approached me. <laughs> they emailed me. <laughs> Um, they emailed my manager and, uh, asked me if I would do a lip sync and, um, I'll be honest. I, I knew everything was virtual. And so I assumed it would be an online virtual, um, event. I had no idea it was primetime television. I had no clue. Tens of millions of people probably. No, I had no clue. I was in LA just like getting ready to film the special and they were like we need this we need this I was thinking about like do I have time to do this right now I have so much going on but I was like no I need to do this this is really important and I I wanted to do it um so I I recorded it you know at this Airbnb in LA and sent it off and thought great it'll be online you know what I mean like that was my feeling and then all of a sudden everyone's texting me like you're gonna be on the DNC and I was like yeah 
are you watching it on, you know, on, on Twitter YouTube, or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but no, it was on, it was on prime time and it was, I framed it wrong because I didn't realize there was going to be that, that lower <laughs> third and stuff. So there's all this stuff that I wish I had done differently, but at the same time, it was such an awesome feeling to go from making like, you know, little kind of comedy skit things and growing my audience and like kind of turning that into something that um, contributed to something, you know, cause that, that to me, like made a difference for me. I feel like that's the pinnacle of, of, um, doing something that you love. That's fun. Is that if you can do it and you can also help in some way, it just makes it so much better. Cause then you don't feel so useless. You don't feel like so selfish that I'm just doing this for me. You're like, <laughs> Oh, I'm actually helping something, you know? Will they be counterfeited by groups inside our nation? Will they be counterfeited, maybe by the millions, by foreign powers? Let me put this in my own words. I've heard Donald Trump say some pretty unhinged things. I've heard them over and over and over again. But nothing is more dangerous to our democracy than his attacks on mail-in voting during a pandemic. Okay, here's the truth. Donald Trump doesn't want any of us to vote because he knows he can't win fair and square. So whether you plan to vote by mail or in person wearing your mask, it is your vote and it's your right. Don't let Donald Trump take that away from you. So let's talk about the special um, for a little bit, which is just, it's really so much amazing stuff in this special. And I don't have any idea how you pulled it off in this time and in COVID and <laughs> um, all of the guest stars and, and everything. So is this something that, that Netflix came to you and said, we want to do something with you and it grew from there? Or how did, how did it happen? I was doing like a lot of general meetings. Do you know what general meetings just like, <laughs> they're the worst <laughs> like someone yeah what can we do with you kind of thing yeah or maybe yeah. Can or... You s tell us who you are so that we can like figure out how we can you know sell you to somebody <laughs> no i had a lot I, I was very bad at general meetings and then during this time maybe the zoom format is actually better for me because i feel a little less intimidated but i met with a lot of different people and i one of the people that i was really excited to meet with was maya rudolph and natasha leone and at that point my agent were thinking about, you know, I was, I was working on selling the books and turning them into TV shows, but these things take so long that I wanted to do something where I could do the lip syncs, but also do something else. Um, and kind of just show people that I was more than just these lip syncs. So take that audience and like kind of convert them basically to like, not just, not just people who hate Trump, but people who like Sarah Cooper, you know? So that's, that was kind of the, the tricky thing because, you know, as much as people love the videos, I think a lot of that love is driven by the hatred of Trump. And so you don't really want, that's not really the kind of audience that's going to like span like, you know, a lifetime. You, you really want to like build who, that. Who just, who just hate something. You want them to, to, to like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want them to like, like something. And so, um, when I met with Maya and Natasha, I kind of pitched them this idea of doing a special where I could do some of the the lip syncs, but then also do some sketches and kind of make it sort of a variety kind of special. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. They didn't even think twice about it. It was really awesome. And pretty much from the day that I spoke to them through, I mean, I want to say like a few months ago, it was just like every day 
constant, like, what is this going to be? Like trying to come up with the idea, like putting together a pitch, pitching it to um, a bunch of different places. Netflix, you know, wanted to do it and we, we wanted to do it with Netflix and um, they wanted to do it. And so it really happened very quickly. And looking back, it's, I think people and me included try so hard to figure out Hollywood and try so hard to figure out how do you get something made? You know, how do you get yourself seen? And it just happened. Like, it really was just like, here's a pitch. Okay, let's shoot it. Here's, you know, here's a few million dollars. And I was, okay. Like we're just, Winona Ryder wants to be up. Okay, great. You know, it was just, it literally was just like everything fell into place. And, you know, it was a big kind of decision looking back. It didn't seem like a big decision at the time, but looking back, it was a big decision to not just be like, well, let me just do some stand up and, you know, maybe do a few sketches and maybe do, you know, take all of that and put it together. But I, I just, I kind of wanted to tell a story. I, I kind of wanted to tell a little bit of a story and I've always wanted to be sort of like a morning show host kind of person. And the one thing I always remembered from the night of Trump's election was Wolf Blitzer announcing that Trump had won with like the same voice, the same intonation as he announces everything. He kills me. He uses the same voice. Like watching him cover the, the Capitol riot was the most disturbing thing to me because it's literally the same tone for everything. You're so right. It's it's the weirdest thing. Right. It's like the world is falling. Like literally aliens could land and Wolf Blitzer would be like, aliens have landed on planet. You know, like it's just like, no, Wolf, we're, we're going to die. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I wanted to do like a, a host who actually has that breakdown and actually has that moment of just like, no, everything is really fucked up, you know? And so that was kind of the concept of it. And I just, I learned a lot. I'd never, I mean, I'd been in one writer's room before this, and now I was sort of leading a writer's room and working with Maya and Natasha and Paula Pell and um, Cola Scola, who's I'm a huge fan of. And incredible people that, I mean, both, yeah, behind the scenes and in it that you, that you got. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, I had no idea what I was doing. It was not only that I had no idea what I was doing. It was also that I was working with people that I'd never met before, you know, for a long time. It's very strange to have a project to deliver within a few months that you're making with people that you don't know. I mean, you can say whatever you want about how it turned out, but the fact that it even got done is a miracle. <laughs> yeah. So I'm happy with that, you know? Um, well, I, I have to ask about the, um, the Access Hollywood sketch yeah. with Helen Mirren, which was just one of my absolute favorite things that I saw all year. Um, and that's another one where I just have no idea how you pulled it off. So I just kind of want to know everything about how, how that happened. How did you get Helen Mirren and what was the process of putting that together? Like, I think Helen Mirren is such a badass and I don't use that word because I feel like it's kind of cheesy, but she just is. And she just was like, I think she, we asked her to do it. And she was just like, Billy Bush. I think she <laughs> literally was like, I've never, I'll never get asked again to play Billy Bush. It's not something that happens every day. And she was just like, I think she just saw the challenge of lip syncing this man and like trying to like do that. And she wanted that challenge, which was incredible because she's 70. And so I met with her on Zoom several times to rehearse. And I felt so stupid because she's Dame Helen Mirren. And she's this award-winning, absolutely immaculate actress who has perfect control over every single part of her body and her voice and everything. And I'm like, here's how you lip sync <laughs> Billy Bush. You're, you know? you're, you're teaching her. You're her, you're her masterclass teacher for this uh, I feel project. like I, I felt like I was pulling 
talent away from her. You know, and I was like, no, 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 let's get rid of that talent and let's, let's make it sleazy. And she, she made it sleazy and it was awesome. And it was, she, she, you know, she was like doing the towel thing, you know, like hitting me with the towel in the back of the bus. And anyway, I mean, we rehearsed and she got very good at it and she started having fun doing it too. And that was awesome. You can tell, I mean, you can tell that, that there's a lot of fun in that sketch. Yeah. I mean, and it was, it was COVID too. And so we could only be on the bus for like 10 minutes at a time. And so we had speakers. It was a bus in the middle of this parking lot. We had speakers blasting the grab them by the pussy <laughs> audio as loud as it could go. So I don't know what everybody in the area was thinking. Um, and they just played it on a loop over and over and over again, the same way that I was doing it with my phone, except this way was with like, you know, a camera crew and Natasha Leone directing. And it's so good. Polly Morgan, like, who's this amazing cinematographer, like pregnant too, pregnant with a camera, you know, filming me and um, Helen Mirren, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that really that felt like a pinnacle in a lot of ways of, of what you'd been doing up until that point where it's like it seemed like the best possible use of this uh, technology and this idea to to bring that particular piece of audio to life. Exactly. Like I couldn't finish this part of this Trump thing without doing that. And I'm glad I was able to do it that way. It's been really fun too watching you branch out beyond the lip syncs on even just on Twitter and on, you know, in your videos that you're putting out. Um, the, uh, the Jenna Ellis law mentor is, is one of my favorites. (laughs) Um, thank you. Where, where did that come from? The, the idea to do that? And um, yeah, I got to credit Blair Erskine. I think her name Erskine, is Blair Erskine. Yeah. Erskine. I can't pronounce her last name, but she's awesome. And I just love the whole genre of front facing, mostly improv of external characters to a situation. And I think she does that really well. And so like, I, I, I was inspired by that. And I just thought, well, who is telling Jenna Ellis that this is a good idea? And so like, I came up with this, I'm Deb from the Clintock. I'm the law mentor of Jenna Ellis Esquire. You know, it was just so much fun. I was just having fun with it. Yeah. Hi there. My name is, uh, Deborah McClintock and, um, I am the mentor of Jenna Ellis. She is my mentee. And uh, I thought I'd just make this video and kind of teach you what I taught her. Because, uh, you know, there's a bit of different philosophies with law when it comes to law. And I have a different philosophy is what I taught her. And uh, I want to, you know, like, for example, with the evidence. You know, some people say, show your evidence. I say, don't show your evidence. Keep that to yourself. You know, keep that. That's for you. That's so, that's so you know that you have a case. You don't need to prove it to anyone else. Okay, that's for you. Do you feel like you mentioned that this, you know, this is you want to move past this Trump stuff. You don't want that to define you. Do you feel like you're done with it for good now? Or is, is it over? Are you are you done lip syncing Trump? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I talked to uh, I talked to a friend or uh, about, you know, when should I stop doing it? And I was like, well, I should stop doing it when people don't want it anymore. But no, I should stop doing it before people before stop that. wanting it. <laughs> you know, you don't want to s- keep doing it until people are like, please stop, you know. And I still have people with a, the Georgia phone call. They were like, please do the Georgia phone call. And I listened to the whole thing. And I probably should have just recorded myself because as I'm listening to it, I'm mouthing the words, you know, and I'm like acting it out. And it's, it was a lot of fun for me personally. <laughs> yeah. But 
um, in Didn't terms feel like of it needed like, to be in the world. No, I didn't. And I'm glad because it, I, this is what happens with Trump is like, that was crazy. But what happened three days later at the Capitol was even crazier. And so I just, yeah, we need to put this aside and I'm very happy to move on from it. As fun as it was, and as much as there probably will be a moment in the future where I'm listening to, to him and I'm mouthing the words and thinking to myself, this would be a good video. I'm not, I'm probably not going to do it. So we end every episode of the podcast by asking comedians, who is a comedian who has made you laugh really, really hard in your life? Who's someone who just stands out as, as one of the funniest people that you've ever watched or, or gotten to either interact with or just, or just someone that really makes you laugh? I've never met her, but I'm a huge fan of Chelsea Pretty. Um, she is someone who her just her voice makes me laugh. She's so good. I'm just, yeah, I'm just a huge fan of hers. I also just, I like her mind as well. I like, I like the things that she talks about. I mean, she made an album about coffee. I love that. I just love that. Like she just, she just does whatever she wants to do. And I just think, I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of hers. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was really, really fun. And I'm, I'm glad that we, that we finally got to talk and yeah, I'm just looking forward to everything that, that you do next. Thank you so much, Matt. This was so much fun. Thank you so much to Sarah Cooper for being my guest on this week's show. You can stream her special, Everything's Fine, on Netflix right now. And you should, of course, follow her on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok if you're not already. If you're enjoying The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at Claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.